Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. Congressman, good to see you. Good to see you, Matt. Uh, this is the most spontaneous Kibbe on Liberty ever because I saw you on a live stream on, on this hearing that Chip Roy hearing that Chip Roy put together with some of my favorite epidemiologists, and I'm, I texted you and I'm like, "Hey, let's do something." So yeah, I'm in a roundtable, congressional roundtable, being live streamed, and I'm texting with you to come over here and do, do this. Yeah. So. I'm like, sure, let's do it. So it was uh, uh, Jay Bhattacharya, uh, who's mm -hmm. been on the show a couple times, Martin Kulldorff, uh, co-signer of the Great Barrington Declaration, and Scott Atlas, who was briefly President Trump's whatever virus advisor, yeah. COVID advisor. Um, For as long as he could stand being in the room with the, uh, <laughs> the COVID-idiots. Yeah, the COVID-idiots. <laughs> um, what uh, what was your takeaway from that hearing? Did you learn anything new? Is um, what's what was the point? What is Chip trying to accomplish with that? Uh, I shouldn't well, call it a hearing. Yeah, well, Chip Roy organized it. Yeah. Uh, we it's sad, but we had to have it like a block from the Capitol uh, because you know we're not in the majority yet, and even if we are, they may not want to have this kind of hearing. And Chip Roy's goal was to make sure we don't just forget what's happened because we just had an election where a lot of people who did these shutdowns and lockdowns and mandates have, have essentially been forgiven. I mean, uh, the electorate gave them a pass, some of them a pass. Yeah. And so uh, Chip wanted to make sure we got the scientists who were right all along from the very beginning on record. And um, we still have vaccine mandates. There's still vaccine mandates at universities. There's the government vaccine mandate to come into this country legally uh, you have to have the vaccine. The you, you know, there's the military vaccine mandate. There's the CMS vaccine mandate. What it, which is the healthcare vaccine mandate? And and what they pointed out, uh, I don't know if this was which of the three of the epidemiologists and public health experts, which they really are the experts, pointed this out is uh, you know the medical vaccine mandate caused a lot of nurses to leave. And create a shortage of healthcare workers during a pandemic. Uh, so that was one of the. And by the way, they were the um, the ones who had the highest. They were the cohort with the highest degree of seroprevalence, which means most of them already got COVID because they were the first to interact with COVID patients. So they had natural immunity. So it didn't it didn't make scientific sense, and it made the healthcare system worse. And I mean, that's just kind of like fun, fun fact about that specific thing where um, the government basically forced hospitals to fire these these frontline healthcare workers. Um, there is a recently released national security memorandum from the Biden administration, which if you haven't read it, you need to read it. Um, and and well, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, because it, it really just doubles down on the entire pandemic industrial complex paradigm from from testing to um, dangerous experimentation with uh, with viruses. But one of the things they've committed to doing is that the federal government is going to fund the training of new healthcare workers because it turns out there's a shortage. Gee. And I feel like this is just like a Ronald Reagan well, adage here somewhere. It's, it's like... Um, they, for a while, they dropped the high school diploma requirement for recruiting into the military because they had damaged recruiting into the military 
with the vaccine mandates and a, and a lot of young individuals who had a lot of common sense decided not to go in. Yeah. Um, I guess the surprise that I had there was uh, among these three doctors is their one of their biggest concerns or one of the biggest mistakes made during this whole COVID response was what I've been calling out all along, which is the complete denial of natural immunity, which is been with us for thousands of years they understood the natural immunity and um that was you know that's been the biggest it's like one of the one of the scientists there said it would be like nasa the cdc ignoring natural immunity would be like nasa saying that the earth is not round yeah yeah that it's flat um before i forget about it do you have legislation to protect um uh, military members who have decided for whatever reason to not get vaccinated. Where is that? H.R. 3860, I have, uh, I think, 91 co-sponsors. There should be 434 co-sponsors. At least there should be the entire Republican conference, and, yeah. but there's not. Are uh, they all Republicans so far? They're all Republicans so far. I'm concerned that not enough of them on the Armed Services Committee, where that bill's been referred, you know, they always like, oh, well, we'll defer to the experts, the military experts. Um, it's basically it, it defunds not just uh, the vaccine, COVID vaccine mandate for the military, but any disparate treatment of members of the military. Like you can't force them to take substandard housing like uh, they have. You can't deny them training. You can't make them wear masks. All of the stupid things that they were doing before there was a vaccine mandate. And by the way. The reason I introduced the bill and it only covered the military is I introduced it before there were any mandates. And it was the only one I could anticipate them believing they had the authority to do. Yeah. You know, the reason I didn't do the OSHA vaccine mandate is at the time OSHA was was going to stand up for workers who had been forced to take the vaccine. Like OSHA was saying that employees have to report this as a work-related injury if you have an adverse effect from the vaccine. And so I, I couldn't possibly anticipate OSHA would go from protecting workers to like mandating. They so even Massey themselves. with his libertarian tinfoil <laughs> That's hat, right. you're like, they would never it's, go that far. It's all my tinfoil hat could hold was to imagine that uh, Biden would do a vaccine mandate for the military. Now, the other thing that I never really anticipated is that he would he would not know as much about science or medicine as George Washington. Yeah, because. Uh, that was the precedent. You know, they always say, oh, well, George Washington made people get the smallpox inoculation. Well, go read his orders. In, in two places I can find his orders. It said all the all who have not had it, mm -hmm. all who have not had smallpox, which include, and by the way, George Washington had had smallpox as an adolescent, so he never took it either. Yeah. Like, he understood natural immunity. And uh, Joe Biden does. Well, in Biden's defense, at least there was no executive order on mandatory leaching. So, <laughs> yeah. so there has been progress. There has been progress, but even leaching made more sense than you know what's gone on. Yeah. And by, and by the way, now they're uh, they're sort of kind of acknowledging that you know some of these off patent generic things like ivermectin might have worked a couple years late. Yeah. I want to dig into that, but I, I have to, and we should we should frame this conversation because you mentioned the election. Uh, the election happened a couple days ago, mm -hmm. and we don't actually. Well, it's still happening. It's still happening. Yeah. Apparently in Arizona, this could go on for <laughs> right. for many months now. Um, so most um, 
most news sources are projecting that the House will will flip to Republican, but by fairly narrow majorities. Um, nobody is yet projecting the Senate, so it's it's still possible the Republicans might take the Senate, but we don't know that. So, right. in the context of that, um, I have to observe going back. I'm I'm shocked. At uh, I mean, 90 plus co-sponsors is great for that legislation, but that should be a slam dunk for Republicans in an election year fighting against the encroachments of the Biden administration that was clearly the, the grassroots fire that they needed to tap into, and they didn't. Maybe, there, maybe there's a reason why. They didn't, because I polled this in my Republican primary, and it was number six or seven on the list of concerns. Hmm. Like it's it was below inflation, below jobs, below the economy, you know, because it only affects some people it because people people go about they've kind of ignored the government at this point and they've moved on. Yeah. OK, the bivalent, for instance, the bivalent booster that Pfizer now charges, it's not just bivalent, it's by dollar. They've d- doubled the price of it. Only seven percent of Americans have received that booster. And it's it's literally the own it's the only one responsive to the virus that's circulating right now. Yeah. Uh, so I think Americans have just they've figured out how to go on with life and just ignore Rachel Walensky, who's yeah. just recovered from a, a three week bout of COVID after five shots and Paxlovid. Yeah. She's thankful that it was only three weeks. Uh, They're like robots <laughs> when they say that. Um, I'm sad to announce that I've contracted covid yet again yeah but thank goodness yeah i got boosted three times yeah just changed in where in is now five yeah instead of three and the ones that say four you know the ones who've gotten five boosts are probably saying well there's your problem you didn't have five you didn't get the bivalent booster that was tested on eight mice so so this is something in the hearing we're all like so sorry to interrupt but seven percent of americans are buying it at this point yeah and it's free right so, so that mean, I guess that makes 93% of us like vaccine deniers, anti-vaxxers, because that was the definition of anti-vaxxer yeah. if you didn't take COVID vaccine. One of the, um, I mean, you mentioned ivermectin, um, and, and one of the sort of glaring questions um, that remains to be answered is why was natural immunity not only dismissed but attacked as a conspiracy theory? Why were um, treatments that were not vaccines, treatments with with a proven track record, um, um, ignored at the expense of just mono monolithically, just like we're gonna do the vaccine, you gotta get vaccinated, you gotta get boosted. And I have a fun fact. This week, my cat got monoclonal antibodies for the arthritis in his back legs. Oh, I, I could not get monoclonal antibodies for my wife right. when she got COVID last year because Biden took it off the market. Yeah. So there's a free market in medicine for my cat, who's doing much better, by the way. I'm oh, glad you asked. Glad. Maybe it'll, yeah. <laughs> don't, Sorry, don't, don't. I'm not going there. Don't, don't, don't this spew is, your hateful no, thoughts no, about not, cats. I'm not hateful. I'm just... <laughs> The world doesn't need any more cats, but the ones we have are fine. I'd be like, <laughs> O'Rourke's happy to know yeah. that you're not going to send them to the kitty camp. No, no. Yeah. I love animals, by the way. Love animals. Yeah, just not cats. Not cats. It's not among the list. But um, what were we talking about? Before uh, you monoclonal antibodies. Faded me into 
exposing yeah, like, and, and, of cats, and, and we will clip that which part. you did you did that on the movie that we made off yeah. the grid with thomas massey you didn't yeah. put it in the movie but you did an outtake yep. of me talking about cats and it made my mom mad she saw it and well you, your mom <clears throat> understands more about the world than you do apparently. i know she's always right yeah but uh, no, they're not taking the bivalent, so that makes ninety-three percent of us anti-vaxxers, I guess. But people have moved on, so uh, I think that's why you didn't see an appeal uh, in the elections uh, to, you know, to take out the COVID, uh, ter- you know, the the perpetrators of COVID tyranny. Yeah. Um, tyrants is the word I was looking for. The tyrants got reelected. I'm sorry. <laughs> So let's let's parse that a little bit. And and again, we only know certain things about the election, but but I do think I see a pattern where certain Republicans performed yeah. quite well having yeah. fought lockdowns. Yeah, the exception being yeah, and, and was the red uh, was Florida. So here's the irony. Okay, the pundits looked at the early uh, votes in Florida and the mm-hmm. turnout. And Republicans were turning out great. And um, Florida's one of those states that does report their results on election night. They can and count. They apparently. can count. It's Math is hard, but this is simple addition. You know, uh, my wife's like, they sh- somebody should have taught them about putting that fifth slash sideways through the marks. It makes it a lot easier to count. But they've, they've learned how to do that in Florida. So one of the reasons... The prediction of the big red wave was so far off as they were looking at Florida, at the data in Florida, and they were mm-hmm. looking at Ron DeSantis's performance. Ron DeSantis had a big red wave. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he left the other one in the dust. And, and Rubio did fine, and a lot of people were buoyed uh, into office, Republicans in Florida, because of that. <clears throat> but the, you can't extrapolate Ron DeSantis as a leader of the Republican Party in Florida to the rest of America. There may have been a big red wave if, for instance, Mike DeWine in Florida or in in Ohio, you know, one of the worst Republican lockdown governors. uh, I think he's actually older than Biden and about at the same mental capacity at this point. I, you know, I don't care. All I care about is is like he locked down Ohio. He was awful. He was, he was worse awful. than some Democrats. Yeah. And and so, you know, that I think that tempered enthusiasm could have been better. Yeah. So uh, and I I'm cherry picking here because um I've frankly been struggling to find the narrative in this election because I was absolutely someone that thought having been a veteran of the Tea Party wave of 2010 that Republicans would win simply because the Democrats owned lockdowns, they owned trillions and trillions in deficit spending that has caused all this inflation and all that stuff. Um, I was wrong. Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and support Kibbe on Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. Let me, let me uh, take issue with that. The, maybe the voters are smarter than we give them credit for. Maybe they know what you and I know. Yeah. 
which is it was Republican. It was Nancy Pelosi uh, was in the House, but Donald Trump was the president. Right. When the 15 days to slow the spread became at least nine months under him, Fauci and Burks weren't fired. Um, and we passed $2.2 trillion. Mm-hmm. And, and the president was the, the cheerleader of that and the vaccines, uh, you know, accelerating their their production and the FDA approval. So, like, why should you give Republicans credit right. when you've got Mike DeWine in Ohio being worse than most Democrats, when you get you know, President so you're, Trump you're, you're, screaming at me yeah. for opposing the $2 trillion bill because I said at the time it would cause inflation and shortages. Like, maybe the voters know that whichever party you put in there, they both voted for this. Yeah. Well, I, your, your theory um, is more credible than mine because I was thinking that they had short memories and that since Biden and the Democrats have controlled things and, and they pretty much doubled down on everything that bad that Trump did. But it turns out that um, I want to retell this story. I love you telling this story because I think, I think you, this show is something that you did first um, right after you became the most hated man in Washington, D.C. and March of 2020? Is that when March that was? March 27th, 2020. Yeah, you know the exactly what day. that we'll live in infinity. I call it the singularity. Yeah. The, the world collapsed on me. Like the top three stories on Drudge Report were me. Yeah. And and Geraldo Rivera was talking about how bad I was and Trump screaming at me on the person. phone. Nancy Pelosi goes on MSNBC and calls me a dangerous nuisance. Like people coming up to me saying, you know, people are going to die because of what I'm doing. Like, it was not a good day for me. I'll remember March 27, 2020. By the way, the 11th I- day to slow the spread. The irony of the argument of, of the congressional leadership that it was too dangerous to gather in person suggests to me that even Nancy Pelosi acknowledged that congressional members of Congress are not essential workers. Is that possible? <laughs> Do you want me to argue with that? Like, if she was saying that, I might be agreeing with her. But no, ostensibly, we are essential. No law can be passed without us. No money can be spent without us. And if you're going to respond to an emergency, we should be present and debating it, not eating ice cream out of $20,000 refrigerators and calling in the vote. Yeah. And I said at the time, if farmers and truckers and nurses and grocery store workers are working, then, by golly, get your butts to Congress. And I was, that's what I was hated for. Yeah. Asking, not asking, requiring, because the Constitution requires it, requiring people to show up because I was the lone dissenting voice. And I had members of my own party who are going to be in leadership now screaming at me on the phone, too. I know. Uh, for doing it. So, like, literally the, the Republican president and the Republican leaders were your worst enemies in that fight. Uh, nearly everybody except for you you invited me on that day like <laughs> I'm, the world, well i don't have any friends the world, so the world like, collapsed on me i think it was maybe the next day yeah, or yeah. something there was because yeah. i had been sleeping in my car for three days like <laughs> i didn't know when they were going to call the motion like i'm literally eating pretzels with peanut butter in the middle yeah like so you, in the back of my expedition like camped out in the parking lot of congress waiting for them like, by the way, if there's one perfect food, it's pretzels with peanut butter. Like, I, it's got the salt, it's got the, you know, the carbs, it's got the protein. It's probably that and margaritas. 
which is what I had in the back of my expedition. Is this like the massive food pyramid? <clears throat> now, now more truth comes out. I had medical margaritas. I don't drink recreationally. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> so, so to remind people all that nonsense, you had the audacity to ask Congress to vote on the largest spending bill in, in history, history, and the entire D.C. establishment came down on you like a ton of bricks. They came down on me like a ton of bricks, and um, I polled it a couple weeks ago in my district. Only polled Republicans because I was in a primary fight of my life since, you know, the first serious challenger, well-funded since I'd been elected. And so it wasn't just, like, people hating me. I can get over that pretty right. easily. But I was right. about to be unelected, I felt, if I did that. Yeah. Um, but I polled it and um, I even tried – what messaging would work best? So, you know, are you, among Republicans, I said, are you in favor of the lockdowns? And um, 79 percent, are you in, I'm sorry, are you in favor of like emergency spending? I didn't call it lockdowns. I didn't pull the lockdowns. Are you in favor of the emergency spending pack, the bailout? Mm -hmm. And 79 percent of Republicans in my congressional district supported the bailout. Yeah. And if I called it stimulus, so at half the poll, I'd say, well, are you in favor of the stimulus? It went from 79% to 81% popular <laughs> among Republicans. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't just out of step with Washington, D.C. We always like to blame the swamp. But the swamp responds to what people, the electorate wants or what they're polling. And at the time, the polling was against me, too, in my own district. But ironically, or coincidentally, whatever, in spite of that, Six or eight weeks later, I got 81% of the vote in my district. Like, even though 81% supported the bill, I was the only person in the world opposing. Well, let's, let's talk about that. I don't, I'm not sure we've ever talked about it um, in great detail, but um, the threat to you was very much inspired by Trump. So Trump wanted this bill to pass. He wanted it to pass immediately. He called you up. He took your head off. Mm -hmm. Did he actually endorse your primary opponent? No. He he called me a third-rate grandstander on Twitter, and he did say I should be thrown out of the GOP, that the Kentucky party should throw me out of the Republican Party. And then the third tweet was— So kind of a non-endorsement. <laughs> the third tweet said—and I and at this point I imagine he's out of ideas— and he turns to somebody and say, what would hurt him the most? And they say, well, he's the chairman of the Second Amendment Caucus. So he tweets that I'm bad on guns. <laughs> like, that was the third tweet like that nobody remembers. Uh, but I remember it. The, so, guy, the guy that said, grab him and then have a trial? Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah. Uh, we kind of made up since then, because then now this primary I had, um, he called up and endorsed me a few days before my election. So he came around. Yeah. But you, but you survived. So would you say, um, you know, as unpopular as standing on principle in the middle of a panic was, um, does it pay political dividends for you in your reelection this last week? Um, yes. I mean, the, the media in my district, you know, they were wondering, well, why aren't you campaigning more? Like, we noticed you're not doing a lot of campaigning. We're not seeing your TV ads. Where's the mail in the mailboxes? And my response was, look, everybody right now is trying to brand themselves as being against inflation. Mm -hmm. That is my brand. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't need to brand myself. Like, everybody knows that I opposed 
not just the two trillion, but the four trillion that followed, all six trillion, not just a little bit, not just with a vote, but like vocally, whether it was Biden or Trump, I was opposed to it. So I didn't need to campaign against the number one issue. I had already been the only person on the planet trying to stop yeah. the number one issue from happening. Yeah. Those little payouts to voters in the midst of their panic was the cheese in the trap. If you could, yeah, the 12, that's what I said, that the uh, that bill, that, by the way, I, I tweeted this, I think the day I came on your show, I said that the, 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 the $2.2 trillion stimulus bill is the biggest transfer of wealth from the, the middle class to the Wall Street bankers, you know, the bankers on Wall Street in the history of mankind, and the $1,200 is the cheese in the trap. And it was the cheese in the trap. Now, they added a little more cheese. They did another $600 piece of cheese and a $1,400 piece of cheese. There's always a piece of cheese. Yeah. Um, but all that cheese adds up to, like, you know, maybe a $33,000. Uh, and if you got a lot of kids and whatever, maybe you got more than that. But it doesn't add up to what you lost in inflation just this year. And the inflation is permanent. So they announced, uh, I think in August, when the government admits that inflation is 8.3%, it's probably a lot higher than that. Yeah. But 8.3%, if you take 1 over 12, it's 8.3%. Well, there's 12 months in a year. Everybody lost one month of pay this year due to inflation. So the cheese, like you had the cheese, the cheese is gone. Now you're in the sticky trap. And it's not just that you lost 8.3% this year. That's permanent. And you may have gotten a raise, but they're going to they're gonna outpace it. And what has been the government solution to – by the way, they didn't overstimulate the economy. We're not living in a raging economy right now. The shortages aren't caused by massive demand. The shortages are caused by people like, – working at home or just fell out of the workforce or things that didn't happen two years ago that I may have mentioned this on your show too, at some point that, you know, fruit trees weren't planted uh, two summers ago. And it, you know, I've got fruit trees on my farm. It takes three years to get fruit from a tree. Like the mistakes that were made two years ago, it takes three years to like, to breed a dairy cow, it grows up, it has a baby, and then it gets milk. Okay, that's three years. I was pointing out that summer, mm -hmm. as things stayed shut down, that everything you're doing is going to have a consequence that goes at least three years from now. So we've got uh, not a raging economy, but we've got raging inflation. What they normally do to uh, curb raging inflation, the Federal Reserve, is they raise uh, interest rates. Well, that's great if you've got a raging economy. They say, well, we got to cool off the economy. We don't have a raging economy, but it's the only lever they've got right now. By the way, this is six weeks after they passed the Inflation Reduction Act. I'm pretty sure the Fed ain't buying the name of that bill. <laughs> because if they believed it was going to reduce inflation, they wouldn't have increased interest rates by quicker in a shorter period of time by more than they've ever done in history, right? They are throw in so many wet blankets, not on a fire, not on a raging economy, but on a ho-hum economy. And so now the people, the people, you know, we all took the cheese, okay? There was no choice, um, you know, because the government has forced it. But um, now that you've had the cheese, not only 
do you have one twelfth of your pay gone this year? You are stuck in your house because if you if you've got a mortgage at three percent and you go you say oh I like that house down the street it's got a bigger yard and a place for our kids to play and it's closer to work let's move there. Well, guess what? Look at your mortgage payment. It may be the same size house and everything's the same. It's just in a better location. You can buy a third of the house now because the cheese was in the trap. The $1,200, $600, $1,400 has now led to the Fed raising interest rates. And if you have to borrow capital to you know, uh, build a house or whatever, you're paying for it. It's like the laws of economics don't care about politics. They don't care. They don't care at all. But yeah. people care. Yeah. Um, and we got inflation and we got all that and maybe the red wave should have been bigger. But one one thing I do want to um, say, you haven't asked me this question and I know I'm assuming we've got a majority. Uh, I keep getting asked, uh, is it going to be hard to govern? If Okay, so whether the Republicans have the majority or the Democrats do, and okay, this is where you're going to have to like put a subtitle on the video if I'm wrong about this. But <clears throat> no, I'm hoping you make a horrible prediction <laughs> yeah, right. that we can embarrass you <laughs> with later. Sad trombone. <laughs> okay, either party's going to get a majority by just a few seats. Yeah. And I've been asked, does that make it harder to govern? And I am just, I am just delighted at the prospect of having just a few seat majority uh, because they need to consider if you if if the speaker let's say it's going to be republican decides to pass a bill and the speaker has 218 votes and the minority party has 217 and the minority party desperately wants to make the majority party look bad so there's no coming across the aisle the the 218 every member of the Republican conference, their opinion has to be considered in, for, in order for that bill to pass. One of the worst things that could happen, I've seen this in state legislatures in red states, is you get a super majority. Yeah. And then the, the lobbyists come in, the, the unions come in, everybody, the, you know, the, the bankers come in and they get leadership and leadership says, well, I can, leadership says, well, I can solve this problem and I only need 50% plus one and I can marginalize these 30 people who see who understand that this is going to be a bad bill. Like, I think you could get a really good bill if all, uh, if every member of, of one party's point of view was considered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is where we're headed. If you've made it this far into the show, it means I must be doing something right. Kibbe on Liberty is just one of the amazing products we created for the people. We tell emotionally compelling stories and produce educational videos for the Liberty Curious. Our award-winning documentaries personalize all things Liberty, independence, creativity, hard work, integrity, and perseverance. After the show, check out our work at freethepeople.org. And if you like what you see, donate to support what we do. That's freethepeople.org. Now back to the show. I thought you were going to suggest that with 218 Republicans, there's actually 217 Republicans and then the party of Massey. <laughs> well, there's been the party. You could be the kingmaker. You could be the guy. There, there's been the party of, somebody asked me, is it hard to 
is is it hard to govern when you only have like a one seat majority? And I said, I don't, I don't think so. Go ask Joe Manchin. Yeah. Like Joe Manchin's been in the catbird seat, not Chuck Schumer. Mm -hmm. Joe Manchin, people know more about Joe Manchin than they do about Chuck Schumer because um, he's actually somebody who's for a while anyway, stood on principle. And, um, but everybody has the chance to be a Joe Manchin. Like there could have been other Democrats, right? That took Joe Manchin's position, but they chose not to. They're yeah. like, wait, we're just going along to get along. And in the house, I think there'll be a similar scenario where you'll have 180 who decide to go along to get along, who have 20, uh, you know, people, I call it prom court, the leadership, you know, you've got people, you got people running for speaker right now. My phone is blowing up while I'm talking to you. It's buzzing with area codes from Texas and Indiana, every Missouri, everybody's running for speaker, majority leader, uh, whip all the way down to executive vice deputy prom queen of Louis the GOP Louisiana, conference. apparently. Yes. Yeah. Like, Executive Vice Deputy Prom Queen of the GOP Conference. Like, that's a position that people back home don't even know exists. Right. But, you know, people are running for things like that. Uh, and that's that's what's happening right now. But it's like you used to have to have one of those titles to even get a seat at the table in, in you know, at what might be happening behind closed doors. Now everybody's Executive Vice Deputy Prom Queen of the GOP and you're and you're like you are particularly bulletproof because the machine has never helped you. Is that an overstatement? I don't feel obligated to the machine. Yeah. But here's the other like benefit of a slim majority, if I may opine on the benefits of a, a of a slim majority. A lot of the people in these tough districts that we're going to win, we're going to have to march the line. They were going to be the ones that if the NRCC spent five million or 10 million or two million on your race and got you through by the skin of your teeth, uh, they, they own you. They, for the most part, I've seen exceptions. Rod Blum was an exception. Mm -hmm. That guy voted against John Boehner, like, <laughs> you know, the day he got elected after they spent like five million dollars getting him elected in Iowa. Uh, so there are a few exceptions. There are not many. Uh, but that's another benefit of slim majority. Like the the party apparatus doesn't have those those people in swing districts that they could count on to marginalize the the conservatives in the in the safe districts. So part of my I want to go back to the, the politics of of lockdowns and political accountability and and the benefits of running on principle because I'm I'm clinging to this idea that Republicans can win when they stand for something mm -hmm. that's different than what mm -hmm. the Democrats are proposing. And, it, you know, it wasn't just Ron DeSantis, but like 20 points in Florida um, was just unprecedented, it's supposed unheard to be a purple of. State. It's supposed to be a purple and state. And I know people have moved there, but not 20% of the state has no, moved there. No, and But but there were, there were other examples, uh, Brian Kemp in Georgia, who um, – famously tried to open up Georgia before President Trump wanted him to, and Trump scolded him for that. Um, you know, and we're all grading on a curve here because because even DeSantis it's wasn't- It's a generous curve. Well, DeSantis wasn't <laughs> perfect on you're lockdowns either. you the governor of, of Georgia credit, it's Just a generous on, curve. Just on, on what is, one issue. Okay. 
just on one issue. I mean, on that curve, you you have to give like Abbott at least to see. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, uh, eventually, I don't know. It was, Abbott I, was pretty bad. But he was bad, but he got a primary opponent, and he got better. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I'm just saying, your curve is you think, so. Is generous. there a relation? Well, I'm, I'm I'm trying to find a silver lining. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I I'm, interrupted. I'm trying to find some hope Extol for the, the, the future of our republic. Republicans. Um, <laughs> Christy Noam, would you give her a good grade on lockdowns? I mean, by on the lockdowns. By, yeah, by the letters. I mean, she she was the only one who didn't lock down. Yeah. By, by the letter. Uh, like like from day one, she's like, no, she's, we're not going to do this. I got to qualify. Like everything, okay. I got to qualify. I'm sorry. She's a lot, and I'll be. I say it in the nicest, best way I can. She's a lot better governor than she was a congressman. I understand. We've talked about this. Okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hone down on this one issue that I really cared about, and apparently um, no Republicans ran on this. And one more example of someone— Well, I'm sure—was she, she up for re-election? I'm sure she did fine. Yeah, she did fine. Okay. Um, and to your point, Kemp did well. Yeah. Okay. Like, he exceeded expectations, but but the hype of Stacey Abram was a little bit ridiculous, maybe. The um, the problem is though with your thesis is Mike DeWine did fine. Yeah. And 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 Abbott did fine. I told the, you I was cherry picking data. Okay. <laughs> Not as bad as the CDC though. No. Okay. And one one more guy that I'll give a shout out is Ron Johnson um who uh, I as someone uh, we helped elect him as a Tea Party senator. Um I haven't been wildly impressed with his performance in the Senate over the years, but on lockdowns and vaccine mandates and that stuff, he was a dog with a bone. Yeah, and he won in a very purple state. I, I don't even. I guess you can still call Wisconsin purple, but it's it's a hard place for Republicans to win. Yeah, I mean that probably was the difference for him, and uh, I got to give him credit. I mean, next to Rand Paul, I don't know anybody. And by the way, Ron Johnson is is uh, Rand Paul's my favorite senator. Disclaimer, you know, like I got. I'm not saying anything bad really? about it. Really? What? <laughs> but Ron Johnson was ahead of him on vaccines mm -hmm. and vaccine mandates. That's because Rand was too busy pounding the stuffing out of Anthony out Fauci. Out of Fauci, yeah. He, right. had his, he had his hands full. There's plenty of Literally. This is a target-rich environment. Yeah. I'm glad they split, split up the work, and uh, Rand Paul took, took out Fauci, and uh, Ron Johnson exposed the, the COVID vaccine scams. The other thing that I cherry-picked, which— which I don't think you'll punch a hole in, was that um, authentic liberty Republicans did just fine in this election. And Rand's, um, I, th I don't think he would characterize it this way, but he didn't really have an election. He just crushed the guy. He didn't put a glove on him. And Rand was enemy number one for calling out Fauci and, and hearing after hearing. Um, he, he just had an easy walk to reelection. That has to be a check mark for liberty Republicanism. Yeah, and I um, I have some inside knowledge on this because I poll popularity of Kentucky politicians in my congressional district, which is one sixth of Kentucky. Um, but it's fairly it's a it's a diverse you know I've got urban areas and suburban and and rural areas, and Rand is the when you include me and I hate to say this, and and Mitch McConnell. And um, Donald Trump and Rand Paul. Rand Paul's the most popular uh, federal politician in my congressional district. Yeah. Um, and it's because, I think, 
you know, he he went against Fauci, like, and we all know Fauci needs to go. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think, and, and I'll just give a shout out to Mike Lee, who had um, a, a Mitt Romney placed, if not explicitly endorsed. I don't know if Mitt Romney actually endorsed. Uh, McMuffin. Egg, egg McMuffin, as we <laughs> like to call him in my house. Um, CIA stooge. Uh, pretending to be a Republican and then was an independent, but he was really a Democrat that was a Trojan was a horse for they, the Democrats. He got the Democrat not to run. Yeah. I mean, that that kind of collusion in elections. Yeah. I don't think democracy was on the ballot. Democrats weren't even on the ballot against Mike Lee because they had colluded with a guy who had previously pretended to be a Republican. Um, and Mike Lee, who's, who's on my Liberty Republican list, um, he ended up, uh, you know, everyone was uh, the the corporate media in his state was working against him. The GOP establishment was working against him, and he, I think, he won. Ended up winning by ten points or something like that. It was, it was pretty big. It was not close. Um, do you remember? I was at your uh, Christmas party in your house once, and I had to introduce Mike Lee, and um, I didn't want to offend, you know, other senators who I like. In the Senate, so I introduced him as my favorite senator, not running for president. Yeah, and <laughs> remember at the time, and and, and uh, folks, in in a couple years, like half the senators are going to be running for president again. But uh, I think he, I think Rand was there too, so you were like, oh, Rand on. was running, Ted Cruz was running, uh, then a whole host of bad Republicans were running. So I thought it would be safe to say my favorite senator, who's not running for president, and Mike Lee took the mic, the microphone and said what he meant to say is I'm the only senator not running for president. So it wasn't as much of a compliment. I was just trying to qualify it a little bit, but I didn't realize I had just basically put him in the one percentile of senators. Yeah. <laughs> At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle 24-7, something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love liberty and look cool. You, so what, what I will do, um, it, assuming they're not in the room together, is I will declare either Mike Lee or Rand Paul my favorite senator <laughs> and hope that the other one doesn't hear about it. So, I'll, I mean, I've been in Washington yeah. a long time. That's how we roll. That'll work. Yeah. Love the one you're with. So... Give me like, give me something optimistic to think about here. Um, there's one more race I want to talk about, and maybe this is my optimism. Um, Uncle Fester won in Pennsylvania. I call him Festerman. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Festerman. <laughs> like, and and this is this is my problem with the Republican Party. Um, Doctor Oz um, was a celebrity. Um, he actually lived in New Jersey, not even in Pennsylvania. And I'm from Pennsylvania, and I. I know how that plays, particularly in Pittsburgh, where, where I'm from. Um, he actually aggressively supported lockdowns and mandates. Um, he, he gave Jesse Smollett a platform. Like, how the hell is this guy the nominee for the Republican Party in Pennsylvania? Um, so we, we deserve Fetterman. We, yeah, they er picked we him. earned it. They picked him. Uh, well, the Pennsylvanians, I guess. Yeah, Pennsylvanians did. Yeah. I'm, you know... 
Wait, do you you uh, preface that with give you some hope? Yeah. Well, that, so that wasn't it. No, no, that was the counter. Well, example. let's 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 dig even deeper and darker, and then let's like end with a. You want to get optimistic? Dark? Flash. I don't know, man. We, I'm not going to talk about too many of my colleagues. It's pretty dark. Um, let's. I want to go to optimism. Okay. Uh, and again, this is where you put the sad trombone and some uh, subtitle here. If I'm wrong, but a slim majority is is great like a slim majority of republicans uh, it means the massey caucus which on a good day is five and on a bad day is one um, it means the massey caucus is significant uh, it means every caucus is significant it means that a bill to pass along party lines is going to be ha- have to be amenable to every member of the Republican conference. There's basically a veto. There are two, if we had a majority of 218, there are 218 vetoes. And 180 of them have already promised to vote for whatever crap you put in front of them. So it, it means there's not that many vetoes. And uh, it, I think they're going to, like I was asked by a reporter on my way here, uh, what does it mean? And I said, it means they have to consult us before the bill is written. Like, normally, here's how a whip operation works in Washington, D.C. This bill is so baked. If I offered an amendment to change one penny, like a, a $2 trillion bill, I said, let's cut one penny at NIH. They would refuse it. Like, nothing I could do could get them to cut one penny because they've already made an agreement. Like, this is a legally binding contract with the lobbyists and the deep state to not change anything because then all their secret negotiations get opened back up. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's all changed. You know, I will tell them, whoever becomes speaker, listen, I don't want to break your heart. I know you're going to write the perfect bill. And you're going to come to me and tell me you need my vote. But so that's why I'm telling you right now, talk to me before you write the bill. Show, let me in on the process and you might get my vote. And I'll tell them that now and they'll consider it and they may ignore me and they do so at their own peril. Mm-hmm. And, and not just me. I mean, there are a lot of Republicans whose voices need to be considered who I think will be considered in a slim majority. And then for the Republicans who are, just lamenting that we we didn't have this giant red wave and we don't have 250 Republicans and you know man that would have sent a mandate and we could have got the Senate and we could have really got some stuff done. Um, one vote is enough to change every gavel in the House. Like the House isn't like the Senate. It is. I had no appreciation for this. This was not taught in U.S. Civics course in high school. It's mob rule. And if you got one more person in your mob, you are the mob who is ruling. So the, um, this doesn't sound very bipartisan, but it's the difference between Gerald Nadler uh, holding the gavel and convening a judiciary session and Jim Jordan holding the gavel. It's the difference between not subpoenaing anybody in the White House. Like, just, hey, if you got some free time, 
send that executive vice deputy, you know, of Amtrak over and we'll talk to him. <laughs> it's, you know, it's the difference between talking to that guy and Merrick Garland. You know, it's the difference between talking to Merrick Garland once and talking to him every month. It's it's a big difference. Every gavel changes if the majority is won. Uh, subpoena power. And, you know, I saw Elon Musk tweet this. I, I don't agree with his algorithm, but he got to the right conclusion, which is, you know, vote Republican. It, his, his algorithm, which is partly true, is mixed government, like, uh, you know, uh, government and it's got two parties in charge of different branches. It's usually better for the people. That's actually, it kind of turns out to be true, especially if you're doing oversight. Because even when Republicans were in the majority, and we had a Republican in the White House. I was on the oversight committee. We we basically played tiddlywinks. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. No oversight. Yeah. It'd be impolite yeah. to drag in somebody that was working for your your president and like you know talk to them about hey where'd that money go or why are you spying on Americans? That wouldn't be polite. But now it's going to be polite and expected to bring in the, the FBI who's spying on Americans, because that's Joe Biden's FBI right now, mm -hmm. though they're not a fourth branch of government. They, they work for the president. You can fire the FBI director. They all work for him. Don't pretend it's an independent organization. If it is, we're screwed. Uh, so that's, that's, the, that's the great thing is even if it's a small not even if, especially if it's a small majority, we're, we're in great shape. So you got to go after um, accountability at the FBI. You have to go after um, Homeland Security, which is apparently the center of this new censorship of online speech. Mm -hmm. um, Board of disinformation. And you, you got to go after the the health industrial complex. And that's just this great way to round this up from where you started. Um, you were talking to epidemiologists who were demonized for for saying what what are now obvious truths. And, and we have to get to the bottom of the dysfunction of what happened at NIH and CDC and, and just the, the obviously bad information that they were promoting. Um, there's smoke there. There must be a fire. One, one of the uh, scientists and doctors that testified to us, he said it looks like regulatory capture at the FDA. Yeah. And then another one of the... He's, he's the one that has an economics degree <laughs> yes. as well, so he understands yeah. that. Uh, I was, it was just delighted to hear a doctor yeah. understand that what regulatory capture is. And he said, it looks like regulatory capture at the FDA. And another one of the doctors said, look, all three of us get NIH grants. And it's probably not a good idea to have the Pope of Science be in charge of every NIH grant because they get millions hundreds of millions of dollars are are meted out from the pope of science mm -hmm. to the people who could challenge him but yep. they won't because getting uh, nih grants are the lifeblood so uh yeah and you know and we we all understand oh let me tell you this i want to tell you this that that the government um that uh, one of the scientists said the chief uh, source of disinformation during COVID was the government. And I've called out the CDC many times. And um, most recently, I, I called them out as liars. And it's not a term I use lightly. I, I first tried to be charitable and say they made typos and stuff in their documents. And I got them on the phone. And I recorded them saying that I was right and they would fix it. 
They never did. They had disinformation in there that I discovered and got them to admit to it on the phone. So I called them liars recently because I don't want this to go away. And I got a fact check. Uh, and the fact checker called me up. And um, I'm not sure the fact check's going to happen. Because, and this is what I'm discovering, is the reason you never see a fact check that says 100% completely accurate is they're only doing the fact check to try and make you look bad. Yeah. And so um, I would. And they torture language oh. and facts and they say, to make you look bad. Oh, let me tell you about the last fact check that I, I underwent. Uh, I tweeted that we've spent more, um, U.S. Congress has spent more in Ukraine than we do on roads and bridges. They like in the first six months than we do on roads and bridges all year. And the fact checker came at me. You give him information from Biden's own DOT. And I warned him. Uh, I said, uh, you better release your fact check quick because pretty soon I'm going to tweet that we spent twice as much in Ukraine as we do on roads and bridges. So and then uh, he said, well, you're leaving out uh, counties and states. And, and he was British. They pick fact checkers in the do another country, I guess. So you can't go track them down. <laughs> And he, I, he said, well, you, you didn't talk about state and local spending. I said, and he's British, so I said, you, have, you must have a very poor uh, command of the English language because we refers to the subject of that sentence, which was Congress, right? But anyways, his fact check came out. He said, and I've got it framed. It says, mostly true. That's as most as you're ever going to get. That's the best you can do. Mostly true, missing context. Uh, road, you know, states and counties also fund roads and bridges. I love the missing context. Missing context. So we're going to see, like, I'm sort of calling my shot here. I think it's a Reuters fact check. I think they may never do the fact check. And if they don't, I'm going to call them out because I've got stuff on them. All right. <laughs> um, that's a great way to end this. <laughs> right. Thank you, sir. Cheers. Facts. Only the facts. Only the facts. <laughs> Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.